Welcome from the news capital of the world, Chicago, Illinois. You've landed on the Daily Objective from the Ayn Rand Center UK. Delighted to have you with us. I'm Jonathan Honig from capitalistpig.com. And we've got a really interesting uh, show for you today. You know, this is part of our ongoing conversation. Every day we bring you some of the brightest stars, I think some of the, the smartest voices in objectivism. And we're all students of objectivism, learning about Ayn Rand's philosophy, applying it to our own lives, applying it to current events, trying to understand it more. You know, it's like, I've been studying this for over 20 years and I'm still learning, still discovering, and it's a fun journey. So thank you for being part of it. And you are part of it. A, simply by being here, you're a little bit part of it, but mostly our subscribers are part of it. You are the ones who literally keep this network going. We are the largest network of objectivist related programming in history. And we're only able to do it. We're non-for-profit. Obviously we don't get any government assistance, uh, but uh, we're only able to do it because of your super chats, because of your ongoing support, especially those monthly subscribers. If it's five pounds a month, if it's 10 pounds a month, it means a huge amount. And we really, really need it to keep this going. And, you know, we're doing live events now all over Europe, including a live event coming up next year with two very special guests in uh, London. So stay tuned for more information about that. And thank you, Stephanie, who's one of our uh, YouTube subscribers. It's very inexpensive. And thank you for being with here at all. So let's get right to it. We've got lots to talk about uh, today. We're a program about some aesthetics, a little bit of aesthetics. It sounds scary, but it's not. In fact, you'll know all of this. And of course, I want to preface it by saying I'm a student of objectivism. I've been following Ayn Rand for, as I said, well over 20 years, uh, but I'm still learning every day. And this is not objectivism qua objectivism. This is some of my own interpretation, hopefully inspiring you to me uh, to read uh, and learn more about Miss Rand's works. One of her best works is the Romantic Manifesto. And I think a lot of people say, oh, art, you know, whatever, it's paintings on a wall. But Rand identifies that art has this vital need for us. And because there's so much of it out there, because so much of it in my mind is, I'll present is so detestable, I wanted to revisit a little bit what she said, get her perspectives, maybe interpret some of today's ideas and works, and then offer something that I think is really positive as an alternative. This is from the Romantic Manifesto, Ayn Rand. The emotion involved in art is not an emotion in the ordinary meaning of the term. It is experienced more as a sense or a feel, but it has two characteristics pertaining to emotions. It is automatically immediate, and it has an intense, profoundly personal, yet undefined value meaning to the individual experiencing it. The value involved is life. And the words naming the emotion are, this is what life means to me. And knowing that, it's just so bewildering to me. It's so frustrating to me that so much of today's artistic output, and thank you, Wes, Wes Stewart, with a super generous contribution, 10 American dollars. Thank you, Wes. You're part of the philosophy posse, a big part of it. So hats off to you, and thank you for being part of our conversation. Uh, what do you think about uh, uh, today's artwork? I mean, it's so dark, it's so malevolent. It has been for decades. This isn't something, you know, from Biden or whatever. It, it, it has such a bleak view of life, of, of mankind. And again, from the Romantic Manifesto, you might say, well, why is this? Why is this? Because now quoting from Ms. Rand, art, including literature, is the barometer of a culture. It reflects the sum of a society's deepest philosophical values. 
not its professed notions and slogans, but its actual view of man and of existence. I mean, isn't that a fascinating identification? What is art? Well, it's what people feel like painting. No, it's, it's, random. it's the barometer of a culture. And so much of it today is so soul sucking, isn't it? It is not soul enhancing, it is soul sucking. And to indicate the level and the intensity of soul suckingness, you'll notice I've put this in the comic sans font. Now, as my evidence number one and my belief number one is a very successful film and film franchise that originally came out now over a decade, but it's of course spawned a whole series of this malevolent corruption. But the original film is called The Purge from 2013. And the upshot of The Purge, if you haven't seen it, and I got hope you haven't seen it, is that a political, this is from Wikipedia, a political party called the New Founding Fathers of America the new founding fathers of America are voted into office following an economic collapse and pass a law sanctioning the purge, an annual event where all crime is legal and emergency services are temporarily suspended. So it's, you know, it's a horror film. And then the idea of it is that underneath everyone is this murderous animal just waiting to get out. And because this, these smart new founding fathers have passed this law, you know, once every year, everyone who wants to murder, which is a lot of people, can get it all out. The United States has now become virtually crime-free with unemployment rates now at 1%. So this is what's presented. And, and part of what is present across this whole film series is this integration of American symbolism. I mean, here you have a photo of the American flag that's been totally defaced with guns. I mean, look at this. Guns are where the stripes are and uh, brass knuckles and just a, a complete pissing on America. Here's Uncle Sam with a, a rifle and evil Uncle Sam, you know, hunting people down with all these. It, 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 it's so repulsive on its face. You know, it's self-evidently repulsive. Um, the notion that mankind, if you said, well, let's make a piece of art. Well, let's present the idea that mankind is actually this savage animal. In fact, America is a big part of that as well. It's at, it's just, it's so repulsive. I mean, I even the thought of it is. And again, quoting now from Miss Wren and uh, Romantic Manifesto, misery, disaster, disease, evil, all negatives of human existence are proper subjects of study in life for the purposes of understanding and correcting them, but are not pro proper subjects of contemplation for contemplation's sake. In art and in literature, these negatives are worth recasting only in, re in relation to some positive, as a foil, as a contrast, as a means of stressing the positive, but not as an end into himself. And, you know, it's not that we shouldn't study bad ideas or study evil or study it, but the idea of presenting that as your, that's your view of mankind. It's, you know, and here's my upshot. It, it's so um, malevolent. It, it is so um, ugly in terms of its, I mean, the upshot is, is that man is this depraved 
bloodthirsty animal, that we're not rational, that we're just the same as the rats running around. And if just, you know, ethics and morality are just this kind of game we play. But if you let that go for just a minute, you know, we're just like these animal rats. And of course, America, these just awful, awful filmmakers, America is a big part of that, they seem to present. And look at some of this, some of these imageries, big, gross, um, you know, deranged looking Uncle Sam with a, a gun that's spray painted to look like with the American flag, you know, so gross. Why leave America out? Why leave America out of this? I mean, why? The idea is they're tearing down what's good. They're tearing down things. That's what makes this a popular work. Uh, Robert says there's a fine line between clever and stupid trouble as many of these works are both stupid and clever, terribly super ideas, stupid ideas cleverly presented. I, it, you know, I look at this and it's repulsive to me to see American imagery. I guess it's shocking, you know, that's the point, but it's so dark and I'll just compare and thank you, Benjamin, super generous contribution. Thank you so much. You know, it really means a lot to to Razi, to all of us, and to Razi, you know, we work really hard to bring you original programming every single day based on Ayn Rand, integrating Ayn Rand, talking about Ayn Rand, getting you thinking about Ayn Rand. So Benjamin Wilson, you are far part of the philosophy posse and um, we so appreciate that. Thank you, thank you again. And maybe you've read this one. I mean, I'm just gonna compare The Purge with uh, If. If is a poem by Rudyard Kipling which was a favorite of Ayn Rand's. There's a wonderful explanation of that over at the Ayn Rand Center, AynRandInstitute.com website. But you know, this is a, a a read that will lift you up. This is a read that presents that you feel optimistic after uh, reading it. This is something that helps you see the best of man. It physically lifts you up. It it you know to compare these so. All I can say about is the purge is skip it. Let it die as the trash it is. The only problem is you might be giving trash to your kids and starting them on the purge. And that's my second piece of supposedly great art that is anything but is still to this day, one of the most popular books for children in America. Top 10, easy. And it has been for 20 or 30 years. And when I was a kid and well through the 20s and uh, the, excuse me, the, 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 the 90s, 2000s, this was, and I think, believe has remained a very popular book. It's The Giving Tree by Shel Silverstein. And again, from Wikipedia, just to recap, I, I don't know if this is as popular in, in the United Kingdom, but this is, um, uh, um, very popular here in the U.S. And Wes has a, uh, a recommendation. I'm going to get to that at the end. Thank you, Wes, for the contribution. You have a great recommendation of something that's life affirming. I'm going to, we're going to get to all those at the end. So thank you for that. Thank you for being part of the philosophy posse. But Giving Tree is still very popular in America. And the idea is, is the book follows the life of an apple tree and a boy. I presume, most people presume it's the mother and the, the son, the, the child develop a relationship with one another. The tree is very giving and the boy is very taking as a teenager, a middle-aged man, and finally as an elderly man. In his childhood, the boy plays with the tree, climbs the trunk, he, he swings 
from her branches. He carves me and tree. He eats her apples, but then he grows older. He spends less time. He only visits her when he wants material items at various stages. He doesn't come to the tree alone. He brings a new lady and he, he, he uh, carves now me and YL, me and young lady or young love into the tree. So he's now forgotten about the tree. And the tree is still wanting to, you know, the mother, the parent is still wanting to give, give, give in an effort to make the boy happy at each of these stages. The tree gives him parts of herself, which can transform into material items, such as money from her apples, a house from her branches, and a boat from her trunk. With every stage of giving, the tree was happy. And there's this just terrible scene where you see the boy cutting down the trunk and just walking away, making a boat and sailing away and leaving the stump. When only a stump remains for the tree, including the carving, me and tea, she is not happy, at least at that moment, the boy returns as a tired elderly man to meet the tree once more. She tells him that she is sad because she cannot provide him and he ignores it, he ignores it. All he wants is a quiet place to sit and rest, which the tree who is weak being just a stump could provide with this final stage of giving the tree was happy. It's so dark, you know, and it, it, it really still affects me and cracks me up because, you know, it's kind of like Miss Rand's idea of tears at a wedding, that this is not what life is. It's, it's, it shouldn't be what life is. And it's, it's, it's the wrong way of presenting mankind. And I'm sorry that that's how it's presented. In fact, even the people who advocate for the giving tree, the people who do advocate it for just the wrong reason. You know, the book has been described as one of the most divisive books in children's literature. The controversy stems whether the relationship between the main characters, a boy and the eponymous tree, should be interpreted as positive, i.e. the tree gives the boy selfless love. So their, their positive is the tree gives the boy selfless love. And, you know, we know how awful that is. No one wants selfless love. You know, your own Brooke used to say, you know, imagine if you're, wife or your spouse said, you know, honey, I don't really care about you. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just sacrificing myself to be with you. you. You don't want, no one wants selfless love. And the upshot of the giving tree is that relationships, especially parent-children relationships, are about sacrifice. You know, they're about physically cutting, cutting, cutting down. And that children, you know, if they want to succeed, then they just go take, they just cut, cut, cut. And they don't, they don't go off and grow their own trees and bring the tree back, you know, new saplings or something. It's all about just hacking down the parents. And that life is, you know, either about putting others above yourself or putting yourself above others. You're either going to be the one hacking yourself down or the one uh, doing the hacking. And it's such an awful book. I don't know why people give this to their kids. You know, I think, I think they think, oh, giving's good. And I don't understand it. I really hope that you don't give, don't give this to um, your children. You know, it, it, I can't say enough bad things about it. It's a really awful book, especially at that age. And I'll just compare it. I mean, 
and you know, if they're reading, they're old enough to read, I'll just compare it. And we're talking about parent-children relationships now with something that we know Ayn Rand liked and God knows I liked. And my guess is you liked it as well. I mean, think about the relationship of Jean Valjean and Cosette all throughout Les Miserables. I mean, it's heartbreaking, but it's so beautiful. And it's not, neither one of them have, are left a stump. You know, Valjean dies at the end, but you know, it, it's, it's not at Cosette's, uh, his expense for Cosette. And, um, you know, and Cosette it, it finds love at the end. I mean, just compare these two things, compare the giving tree as a, as a lesson for a kid with, as, as in terms of parent children and just that kind of understanding of relationships with, with the, the really super touching element of Les Miserables, which, you know, I, it, it's, you know, also brings me to tears, but for the right reasons. And of course, at the end, when Valjean dies, it is sad, but, you know, he has to die in the sense for the story, but he hasn't died sacrificing for Cosette. You know, he doesn't, he hasn't left himself a stump for Cosette. Um, and it's just, it's such a beautiful moment. So freaking skip the giving tree. Bonnie says, so many years ago, I took my, and Bonnie is a YouTube member. Thank you, Bonnie. She's a great part of the philosophy posse. She's also hitting me up with a really generous um, contribution. Thank you so much. She says, so many years ago, I took my infant and toddler to, a, to an event at, at our local library. It was a screening of the giving tree. I walked out. I just couldn't stand the message on the screen. Think about it. This is a, 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 the thing is presented with this beautiful tree and this beautiful relationship. But at the end, it's an old man and a stump. And you're telling a kid, this is what life is. This is what relationships are. Skip it. Skip it. Um, Jackson Pollock. Ooh, Jackson Pollock. Now, you, you may or may not know the name. I think it's probably a little less popular. He's been embraced by, he'd been superseded by new shitty artists. But Jackson Pollock is in many ways kind of the forefound, uh, forerunner of so much of today's completely terrible visual art. Again, from Wikipedia, an American painter and major figure in the abstract impressionist movement, AKA splotches of paint on a canvas. He was widely noticed for his drip technique of pouring or splashing liquid household paint onto a horizontal surface. It was also called all over painting and action painting since he covered the entire canvas and used the force of his whole body to paint often in a frenetic dancing style. Um, brings me to something that Ms. Rand said. She said, at the age of seven, I could not understand why anyone would wish to paint or admire pictures of dead fish, garbage cans, or fat peasant women with triple chins. Today, I understand the psychological causes of such aesthetic phenomena. And the more I understand, the more I oppose them. She wrote that in the, the Romantic Manifesto. You know, she didn't say that about Jackson Pollock, you know, and she didn't reference Jackson Pollock, but my sense is she might apply that not only to Jackson Pollock, but also to, if you remember one of my most popular shows, um, I don't get those Rucka numbers, but you know, I, I do the best I can, was the show we did just a couple of months ago about dirt, you know, this enormous art installation out in the middle of the desert called Dirt, which is just a big friggin' pile of, con of, of concrete and dirt. And that, that got millions of dollars in funding. 
So Jackson Pollock is extraordinarily popular, considered a master, emulated, replicated, up on dorm rooms all the time. In fact, just a couple of years ago, this painting sold for $200 million in a private purchase, $200 million. Thank you, Stephanie, for the kind words. Miss Rand writes in Romantic Manifesto, is the universe, this, this is one of the questions that art presents. Quote, is the universe intelligible to man or unintelligible and unknowable? Can man find happiness on earth or is he doomed to frustration and despair? Does man have the power of choice, the power to choose his goals and achieve them, the power to direct the course of his life, or is he helpless plaything, is he the helpless plaything of forces beyond his control which determine his fate? Well, look at Jackson Pollock and you tell me. I mean, the upshot of Jackson Pollock beyond, you know, a pillowcase, I mean, beyond just covering up a blank space on the wall or just, you know, a, a test pattern maybe on TV is that the world is chaotic. You know, it's unintelligible. You can't make sense of it. In fact, it doesn't matter if you hang it any way. It's like the same thing. And it's based on whim. It's based on Jackson Pollock's frenetic to do. You know, it is, it's, it's, it, there's no purpose. It's space painting, right? Filling, just filling up the space of the color. And it, there's no, there's no subject. There's nothing to it. And, and the upshot for me is nothing exists. Nothing matters. So the interesting thing is I presented you three works of art today from three different you know, uh, uh, medium. They're all regarded as great works. They're all given, lauded, written about, talked about, but they really all should be skipped. Absolutely skipped, stricken from your life. Don't subject yourself to it. And to understand why, pick up Ayn Rand's Romantic Manifesto. All of these uh, quotes today are from that really underread and fascinating book. If you think you understand Ayn Rand, you haven't really read the Romantic Manifesto because I think I understand Ayn Rand. And whenever I pick this up and just read a little nugget, I come away, as I said, elevated. You feel that sense that you feel when you read, uh, read uh, If, Kipling's If. Art is not a luxury, but a critical need. It's a need. It's not a material need, but it's a, it's a need of a rational mind. Works of art serve a unique condensing function for the human mind, making real our most abstract concepts of man and life through stylized recreations of reality. So this is what makes art so important. And I want to, I want to, I can't recommend this, but so I don't take responsibility for this, but I have a recommendation. Seth, oh, excuse me, Wes recommends he says, for anime fans, I re recommend A Place Further Than the Universe it is one of the most positive, life-affirming dramas I've ever seen. I would definitely like to see that. Um, Tom says, some defend Pollock because his works can be analyzed with fractal geometry. I mean, so kid, I'll just say, I don't want to get into it, but so kid, a, a, a kid's geometry drawing that they're doodling. It's just, you know, it's... So Wes likes an anime. If you want a real, now this is a documentary, art, is it art or not? I don't have the time to get into that now, but if you want a real life affirming film, 
here's exactly Stephanie, ice crystals. Ice crystals are beautiful, not art. If you want a real life affirming film, it's a documentary. I know it's not art, whatever, but this is one I really recommend from 2008, Man, A Man on Wire. I have never obstructed justice. He said, well, I want to I want to string a wire between the, the two World Trade Center towers. I knew he was a nut or a con man or something. As a child, I love to climb. Nobody could stop me. If you want something, nothing is impossible. He told me he was a French journalist. It's impossible, that's sure. So let's start working. There's 200 feet between the towers. And there were going to be some guys in the North Tower. The whole idea would be that Jean-Louis would send the arrow from one building to another. What? We just weren't ready. Ma'am! I didn't want to be liable for the death of a friend. Why did you do this? Police took a humorless view of the act. Why did Where you do it? There is no way. Beyond anything you can ever imagine. Mind-boggling. I saw his face changing. Now I'm going to perform. This is probably the end of my life, to step on that one. Death is very close. Et donc je criais, regardez, regardez. Et il a salué. figured I was watching something that somebody else would never see again in the world. Thought it was once in a lifetime. Life should be lived on the edge. This is what we're here for. See every day as a true challenge and then you live your life on the tightrope. It's really beautiful and to see the Twin Towers, you know, is always very moving. And this is a, a real special uh, moving piece of art. So check it out and thank you for not only being here, but, but, but for supporting what we do with the Ayn Rand Center UK. You are the reason we're able to do it. So um, thank you for, for being part of it. Uh, now we've got stuff all the time. Do we have something coming up today though, Daniel? You'll tell me. Daniel is our erstwhile, oh, of course. You know, I have it on my reminder. The Cutting Edge with Lee Pearson. Lee is fascinating. Now, beyond being Shoshana Milgram's husband, which is fascinating to begin with, he is a real expert in something totally different than this. He's a real expert in epistemology. So he's gonna bring you all this types of fascinating, interesting understanding of Ayn Rand and like this whole uh, branch of, of uh, uh, philosophy that's not only interesting, but it applies to all the work as well. So it's coming up at 10 p.m. UK, an objective look at objectivity. What even is objectivity? Be objective, be objective. What, the, what are we talking about? So, so significant other, as I said, Stephanie, as you said. So a great guy, be part of it, be part of what art doing. Thank you, Nick, for your generous contribution. Thank you all super chatters. You guys uh, make it worthwhile. So I, this is a real personal show to me for me today. So uh, thank you for sharing it with me and uh, hope you found it of value. And if you do, and if you have, please support us because that's what allows us to keep going. Even if it's a couple of pounds a month, a couple of 
pounds a show. So thank you again, and uh, we'll see you next time. Best premises. <laughs>